Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, and today we're going to be talking about UFC Vegas 72, Song Yadong versus Ricky Simone, and it's going down this Saturday night live at the Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. You got two top 15 bantamweights uh, trying to stake their claim that they're firmly in the title mix. And I mean, with Song Yadong, he's a guy that it's funny because like he's been 25 for like the last 10 years, but like he's the ageless wonder that a lot of people since he came to the UFC have been saying this guy's going to fight for a title one day. And Ricky Simone also has similar expectations, maybe not as young, but he came into the UFC and I mean, he rattled off some ridiculous wins to start off his campaign. I mean, we're talking Marab Dewalish Wheelie and Montel Jackson in his debut and sophomore appearance. So these guys are not short of experience, and this fight right here is big in terms of the trajectory for both gentlemen, and let's see which guy goes further. So without further ado, we're going to break down this whole card, starting with the main event all the way down to the first prelim. So let's do it. Main event of the evening in the Bantamweight division. We got Song Yedong. He's 19-7-1, taking on Ricky Simone, who is 20-3. And, and currently, they got it. Ricky Simone minus 115, Song Yidong minus 105. So it's a pick 'em with a slight lean on Ricky Simone. And it initially opened minus 140, Ricky Simone. So, you know, line margins have tightened up a little bit. And it's just, you know, there's been two way action on this fight, a lot of strong opinions. And, you know, I honestly don't have a strong opinion on this one. I do have a pick, I do have a lean. But this is one of those fights that could go either way, man. I mean, like, it's about, you know, who who's showing up on the night? You know, who had the better weight cut? Who's, you know, checked all the boxes during training camp? Because both guys are strong where the other guy's weak, and both guys are weak where the other guy's strong. What I mean by that is this. I mean, that early going, Song Yudong is an absolute problem, man. I mean, his boxing for MMA is ridiculous. His takedown defense is so damn good early on. Um, he hits extremely hard. His combinations are coming together. And he's a guy that, you know, got outside his comfort zone, moved out of China, moved to California, has been training with Team Alpha Male. Um, and I think actually now they're called Team Alpha. They changed their name to Team Alpha. You know, it's 2023, so... You know, some people probably got offended by being called Team Alpha Male, right? Some Karens up in there, but nah, but you know, he trains at Team Alpha under Coach Uriah Faber, the UFC Hall of Famer, the legend. And there's an interesting backstory, you know, between these two. And I want to bring up what that backstory is, and I will in a sec. But before I do that, so Song Yidong, the attributes, like I mentioned, his combinations are ridiculous, especially in the early going. His takedown defense has come a long way. His get-up game's gotten a lot better. And if you're not quite prepared for the firepower that's coming at you, I mean, he's a guy that's going to absolutely sleep you. And on the other side of things, Ricky Simone is one of these guys that I've been talking about for a long time in terms of he's that guy that can go out there and attempt 20 takedowns in a UFC fight. Whenever you have that quality, you know, the first couple takedowns might get stuffed, but you keep shooting and shooting and shooting. That kind of shit's going to discourage you, man. Um, you know, I can just speak on my own, like, you know, from my own experience, just grappling. And this is without punches, without kicks, without knees. Um, you know, you stuff those first few and you're huffing and puffing, man. I mean, it takes a lot of energy to consistently stuff takedowns. And when you see that the guy is not discouraged and he's still a, trying to take you down, like, 
that kind of shit is going to take is going to deflate you. It's going to take the heart away from you. It's going to be like, man, what do I got to do to to make this guy stop? And you see the looks in, you know, Ricky Simone's opponent's faces when they tend to go deep into the fight. Like even Marab Dewalishwili, he went out cold in that fight. And we'll talk about that. I know we've we've addressed that many times. You should look at Jack Shore's face when that fight got deep. Look at Rafael Asunsa. Like Rafael might be washed, but Rafael is still like going deep into these fights. Rafael didn't have a chance against Ricky Simone. So Ricky's come a long way. So now the backstory between these two. So on July 13th, 2019, I made a five-unit bet on Ricky Simone to defeat UFC Hall of Famer Uriah Faber. Uriah Faber went out there and knocked out Ricky Simone in 46 seconds into the first round. So Ricky Simone cost a lot of people a lot of money including myself and that was one of those where you know after that we weren't calling him ricky simone we were calling him ricky simon because he pissed a lot of people off and this is after he had already beat marab he had already beat montel jackson um he had already beat ronnie yaya so it looked like he was on that upwards trajectory and even he wasn't exempt from that first ufcl even he wasn't exempt from getting embarrassed um you know on live TV against the legend who was 40 years old at the time, right? But the backstory, here's the backstory. So Uriah Faber knocks out Ricky Simone in 46 seconds, and then Uriah Faber gets on the mic. And what does he say on the mic? What he says on the mic is, I learned that right hand from my student, Song Yudong. So Song Yudong has known about Ricky Simone a long time because Song Yudong's mentor, his coach, his hero, his role model, Uriah Faber, knocked him out, knocked Ricky out in July 2019. So, you know, Song has been thinking about, man, one day I'm going to get to knock this guy out too. And here they meet April 29th, 2023, you know, almost four years later. You know, actually three days over four years later. And... Let's see what happens. So Ricky Simone has definitely leveled up a lot since since the Faber fight. You know, he also had another setback against Rob Font, which he definitely lost that fight. But back to my point about, you know, this guy, you know, attempting and hitting a ridiculous amount of takedowns. He hit six takedowns against Rob Font. He went uh, six for 16. This guy shot 16 takedowns against Rob Font. And then after that, goes in there against Ray Borg. He goes seven for 11 on takedowns goes in there against some random, goes seven for 10 on takedowns, goes in there against Brian Kelleher, goes six for nine on takedowns, goes in there against Rafael Asensao, goes two for four on takedowns, and then most recently goes in there against Jack Shore, a guy who on the broadcast, they were calling him the Welsh GSP. I wasn't calling him that, but they were calling him the Welsh GSP on the broadcast, and Ricky Simone goes two for eight on takedowns. So this man has literally landed takedowns in all of his last fights since late 2019 multiple takedowns at that and that's important to note because one issue we've seen in you know previous song yudong fights is that man if you can get this guy to the third round he tends to slow down and it's just because it's not that this guy is you know some someone that's skipping his runs or isn't in good shape he's in fantastic shape he's just a very fast twitch explosive athlete and as a result, you know, he's just naturally going to slow down when these fights get extended. So he 
Song Yudong, for him to win this fight, he needs to come out here. He needs to bust up Ricky Simone in this early going. And it's very possible that he does. Because like I said, it's not just Uriah Faber that knocked out Ricky Simone in, in 46 seconds, right? Um, on the regional scene, Anderson Dos Santos dropped him and choked him out. Obviously, the Uriah uh, fight, like I mentioned, even prior to the Uriah fight, uh, Ronnie Yaya rocked Ricky Simone. So Ricky can be cracked, especially in that early going. And that's where he has to be super careful because this dude, Song Yudong, is a fast twitch fighter, like I said. He's explosive. Um, and he has heavy, heavy hands early. So, I mean, there is a chance that Ricky hits the deck in these first 10 minutes. However, if Ricky can somehow weasel out of these first, you know, two rounds, start to get it into the third, fourth, fifth round, that's where I think the momentum can kind of shift his way. Because like I mentioned, historically speaking, song does slow down as fights progress. Example, the Cody Stamen fight, you know, and what's interesting about that is it would have actually been a win for Song Yudong had he not been deducted a point, and a lot of people would have considered that to be a robbery at the time. But if you look at the output in round three, because I mentioned like the first two rounds, this motherfucker is hell on wheels, but round three, Song only landed six strikes in round three against Cody Stammen. Then you move forward to the Marlon Chito Vera fight, which was another controversial one. And... Song Yudong, you know, he actually landed more strikes in round three than he did in round one. But visually speaking, he looked like he was slowing down tremendously. And he actually gave up two takedowns to non-wrestler Marlon Chitovera, two outside trip takedowns as well. So my point there is that, you know, there's been a recurring theme. And then you move on to, you know, we skip a few fights. We move on to the most recent one against Corey Sanhagen. Corey Sanhagen, who is not a wrestler, was taking down Song Yudong in round four. Now, back to my point, round one and round two, Song Yudong won those rounds and he looked damn good doing so. But by the time round three came through, you know, Song only landed 13 strikes in round three, only 12 strikes in round four. He slowed down once again. So this has been a recurring theme. So basically, the dynamic of this matchup is Ricky Simone can win this fight as long as he survives these first 10 minutes. Will he survive these first 10 minutes? I have no idea. That's why, you know, I'm personally not interested in betting this fight, but some of y'all that got strong takes, run with it. Y'all that think Song Yudong is going to come out here and starch Ricky Simone in those first 10 minutes, y'all got to go to the window and bet Song Yudong. Y'all that think Ricky Simone is going to survive these first 10 minutes, drown Song Yudong in, you know, the third, fourth, and fifth round, Y'all got to go to the window and bet Ricky Simone because it's a great price on both. I personally don't know. You know, I can see either way. So for me, it's not a, a convicted pick, but I will go with Ricky Simone just because it is a five-round fight. And in five-round fights, I want to pick the guy who's more well-equipped to go five hard rounds. And based on the evidence I've seen, I believe that that is Ricky Simone. But again, that's not discounting the possibility of um, you know, of Song busting him up early because y'all know how dangerous Song is. And who knows how old Song really is? Like I said, he's been 25 for the last 10 years. So it's like one of those things where once this dude like hits his prime, he's going to be ridiculous. It's just, I don't know when his prime is going to be because he was like 19 for a couple of years. Then he was 25 for a couple of years. You know, next fight, he's going to be like 22. So like, I, I don't know how old this guy is. 
Um, but people have thought for a long time, they've suspected once Song Yudong hits his prime, he is a future title contender. But the same thing can be said for Ricky Simone. The thing is, we know how old Ricky Simone is. You know, uh, Ricky Simone was born in 1992. So there's no surprises in terms of Ricky Simone. Like, you know, he's 30 years old. He's about to enter his prime. Now, real quick, just for those that don't know the reference about the Ricky Simone and, and Marab fight, if y'all go back and y'all watch Ricky Simone versus Marab, just start it in round three. Start it with about, I think it's about with two minutes left in round three. So this is what happened. Because a lot of people call that a bullshit decision. Um, and it wasn't at all, actually. Um, if you watch round three of Ricky Simone and Marab, um, start it with like two minutes left. Marab goes for this sequence where he goes for a takedown on Ricky Simone. He goes head first into the mat. He knocks himself out on the takedown attempt. And he goes limp. From there, uh, Ricky Simone was able to effortlessly put on a guillotine and sweep him, you know, because the dude was unconscious, right? And then from there, it looked like, you know, Marab was doing like the bicycle kicking. So people were saying that's evidence that he was still awake. That's not evidence to me, man. People react differently when they go unconscious. Some people convulse. Some people drool. In Marab, the machine's case, he does the fucking bicycle when he's unconscious. And then after the bell rang, you know, the dude tries to get up, can't, goes flat to his back, he's out. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, Ricky legitimately beat Marab. Um, and I don't, no one can change my mind on that. It's like that meme, um, you know, with the dude who's like sitting outside, he's got the sign in front of his desk and, you know, he, he writes something on it and that says, change my mind. Ricky Simone finished Marab Devalishvili, change my mind. You know what I'm saying? I don't think you can. So... Close fight could go either way. I'm a lean Ricky Simone for for um, you know, he's a slight favorite, the slightest of favorites. So it's not it's obviously not an upset. And you know, he's not really expected to win either. It's a coin flip type fight that could go either way. I'm seeing in the chat that um Brian Kelleher is out. We'll we'll address that when we get there. But before we do that, co-main event of the evening. In the middleweight division, we got Kyle Bohio. He's 13 and one, taking on Mihal Olegzechuk, who is 18 and five. Currently, they got it. Kyle Bohio minus 374. The comeback on Mihal Olegzechuk is plus 309. So, listen, man, this is one of those fights where it's like uh, you might pick one side, but you might bet a different side because you see a number like that next to Mihal. And Mihal absolutely has a path to victory in this fight. Now, with Kyle Bohio, we got to mention, like, this dude's a specimen for middleweight. And it's funny because Mihal's the guy dropping from light heavyweight to middleweight. But Kyle's going to be the bigger guy as far as I'm concerned. Like, when they when they go side by side, you're going to see that frame of Kyle Bohio. I'm under the impression Mihal, like, even though it's a step in the right direction that he dropped to middleweight, I legit think he could make welterweight. Like, I was talking about this yesterday uh, with Kunath. Um, shout out to him that I think if Mihal fought Phil Rowe at 170 pounds, Phil Rowe would be the bigger guy. So that just speaks volumes to what kind of balls this guy Mihal has because he was up there at 205 knocking out a bunch of 205ers, like consistently knocking out 205ers. Like, dude's a problem. He is a marauder. He goes forward. Um, he gives you no space to breathe. He lands massive overhands. He'll go to the body. 
he's gotten better about his get-up game. His takedown defense isn't the best, but he's gotten better about his get-up game. A lot of people will reference the Crute fight, and I think they should, but they also got a reference like look at the size difference between crew and mihal like if you just go put that fight on right now i mean it looked like a big brother with his little brother you know what i'm saying like the size difference was absolutely absurd and if you look at the numbers it says that jimmy crew took down mihal eight times that means that mihal got up seven times so he was able to get back up seven times against a fucking gorilla now moving down to 85s I still don't think it's his optimal weight class. I think 70s is his optimal weight class, but 85 is more optimal than, than 205. And in that last fight against Cody Brundage, he also got taken down, but he was able to survive the bad spots, eventually was able to reverse the position. And when he got on top, he landed some brutal ground and pound. And the reason I got to bring that up is because in Kyle Bohio's last fight against Mahmoud Muradov, Man, Mahmoud Muradov had that shit in the bag. Mahmoud was busting him up on the feet. And for whatever reason, Mahmoud, I guess he's coming off a submission loss to GM3, wanted to prove that, hey, I do have a ground game. He kept shooting for takedowns on Kyle Ohio. I was like, Mahmoud, like, what are you doing, man? And every time he would shoot a takedown on Kyle, Kyle would snatch up this nasty guillotine. And if you know the defense to the guillotine, it's to sell out and go to your back. So Mahmoud would get caught in these guillotines, and he, as a result, he'd have to go to his back, and then he'd lose the round because he'd lay the remainder of the round on his back. So, But there were so many times in that fight where like Kyle would have Mahmoud's back, and then Kyle would you know slip off the back, and he'd end up on bottom in his guard. And that's actually what we saw in Michal's last fight against Cody Brundage. You know, he was able to survive the bad spots, and Cody Brundage was the one that ended up on his back, and Mihal was able to pound him out. Now, the difference between Brundage and Kyle Bohio is Kyle Bohio is a Damian Maya black belt. So I respect Kyle Bohio's submission ability far more than I do Cody Brundage's. And I also think that Kyle Bohio is a lot tougher than Cody Brundage. But I think that at some point, whether it's this Saturday or in his next few fights, Kyle is going to be exposed because I think that there's issues with low volume. I mean, just to put it in perspective, guys, Kyle Bohio only landed 12 strikes in three rounds against Armin Petrosian. And there were also moments in that fight where he fell off the back and, you know, he's flopping to his back. You know, he's trying to pull guard. Um, in the next fight against Mahmoud, Kyle only landed 19 strikes. So his output is very low. Mihal is the polar opposite of that. If Kyle wants to come out here and test his stand-up against Mihal, like he better present him with multiple, multiple threats to the takedown, or he is going to get knocked out standing. Now, on the ground is the big question, right? Because Kyle Bohio, the Damian Maya Black Belt, Mihal, he's had past issues on the mat. Granted, those past issues were against an absolute gorilla in Jimmy Crew. Like I said, go watch that fight. Look at the size difference. And then O'Vince, who O'Vince has fought at heavyweight, you know, it's just two guys that are just significantly bigger than Mihal. And while Kyle's also going to be bigger, is going to be not uh, not as not as big as those two guys. You know what I mean? So at least like, you know, when they talk about pick on someone your own size, 
at least finally uh Mihal's picking on someone his own size, right? But usually they say that when you pick on smaller guys. Mihal's had the balls, he was fighting up a weight class, in my opinion, up two weight classes. I mean, he had no business at 205 and he was still knocking people out. So I'm not counting him out here. Um, and we have to talk in these terms when you're dealing with a minus 375. Because when I'm dealing with a minus 375, I don't want the other guy to have any chance whatsoever. When I'm talking about a minus 375, I expect, you know, Kyle to just go out there and submit him in the first round, you know, scot-free. And I can't sit here and look you in the eye with a straight face and tell you that that's what's going to happen. Because I know for a fact, if Kyle wants to come out here and be cute, you know, he's, um, you know, he's won three UFC fights in a row. He's won five fights inside the octagon in a row. If you count his, you know, two contender series fights, if he feels like he's the man now, he feels like his shit doesn't stink and he wants to come out here and stand and bang with Michal. He wants to test his stand up. I'm telling you all right now, Michal is going to knock him out. It's just what happens when this hits the mat. Kyle's been a lot better about controlling people than he has about submitting people. Could that change here? Could he come out and submit Mihal? Well, we have seen Mihal get subbed, granted, against much larger people. So obviously it could happen again. You know, Damian Maya, black belt takes your back. Yeah, uh, chances are he might get subbed. But I'm telling you all right now, man, if Mihal can survive these back takes, make Kyle work, start to gas him out a little bit, then he does have potential to be a live dog. And from a betting perspective, I would not lay minus 375. Like I told y'all, when I'm talking minus 375, I need insurances. Like I, I, I need assurances that like this is a lock. Like, and I just don't know that it is because, like I said, on the feet, I favor Mihal all day. I think Mihal might even have a better gas tank than Kyle. It's just What's Kyle going to do on the mat here? That's the big question. So, yeah, as a pure pick, okay, sure, pure pick, let's go Kyle. But there's no chance I'm laying this price on Kyle. If I'm going to bet anything here, it'd be a one-unit shot on Michal, hope that he survives the early going, and, and then pounds this guy out or bust him up standing. He definitely has a path to victory. So this is a dogger pass situation. Yeah, pure pick is Kyle, but who gives a fuck about a pure pick? It's about where you'd be willing to lay your money. And I would not lay close to minus 400 on Kyle Bahio. I do not trust him at all. Um, and also, I don't trust him at this price, rather. Also, speaking of Hall, the kind of shape he's in, if you all go on his Instagram right now, for the first time in 10-plus UFC fights, I finally see some abs starting to show. So maybe my boy is putting in the work. Maybe he found a new Polish doctor. I don't know what the deal is. But I expect this to be the best Mihal we've ever seen. So this is a dogger pass situation. And let's see what he can do with this opportunity. Featured bout also in the middleweight division. We got the aforementioned Cody Brundage. He's eight and three, taking on the black belt hunter, Rodolfo Vieira, who's eight and two. Currently, they got it. Rodolfo Vieira minus 225. The comeback on Cody Brundage is everywhere from plus 190 to plus 200. It's an interesting fight because, you know, Rodolfo, he's taken close to a year off since the Chris Curtis fight. And, you know, obviously that fight didn't go his way. Um, but, you know, he went out there against Chris Curtis, man. And even though he's a jiu-jitsu guy, and usually when jiu-jitsu guys get tired, they start flopping to their backs. But this dude went out there and attempted 20 takedowns. Now, he went 0 for 20 on those takedowns. Um, but he still attempted 20 takedowns nonetheless. Also landed 86 significant strikes um, against 
um, Chris against Chris Curtis, which is more strikes than Cody Brundage has landed probably in all his UFC fights combined. I mean, the most strikes that Cody Brundage has ever landed in a fight is 28 against Nick Maximov. Um, besides that, this dude's never even hit the 20 strike mark. So Cody Brundage has trash output. Cody Brundage is a solid wrestler, but my issue with Cody Brundage is he's kind of one of these guys that, you know, he's kind of like a bully. I don't mean outside the cage. He seems like a really nice guy outside the cage, but I mean inside the cage. Um, this guy's kind of got that bully mentality where, like, if he's the hammer, man, he's going to look really good. But if you can stand up to him, um, he doesn't exactly have a reputation for being the toughest. My example of that is go back to the William Knight fight, right? He takes down William Knight easily. He's doing whatever he wants to him. As soon as William Knight reversed that position and got on top, Cody Brundage covered up and was ready to go home. And I thought that, you know, the Nick Maximo fight, even in a loss, you know, Cody, you know, overcome, overcame some adversity, won the third round. Then the next two fights, he gets first round finishes. So I thought Cody was moving in the right direction. Then his last fight against Michal, the exact same thing that happened in the William Knight fight happened again against Michal, where Cody Brundage, he gets his early takedowns. It looks like it's about to go his way. But as soon as you stand up to him, as soon as you show him like, hey, man, I'm still in this fight and uh, you're going to have to put me out of there. You're going to have to really beat me up. Cody was ready to take his ball and go home, man. And it showed me that maybe there really wasn't that growth since the William Knight fight, which I thought there was. So, yeah, Cody can maybe catch some people early. Um, like even in the Dolce fight, man, Dolce outlanded him 29 to four. Just, you know, Cody got a miracle guillotine, which, you know, I love my guillotines. You know, I'm a big fan of the guillotine. Uh, I just, you know, don't expect that to happen here against Hodolfo, even though Hodolfo did get caught against Anthony Fluffy, but Fluffy's different than uh, than Cody. Fluffy's one of those guys that can push a ridiculous pace for three straight rounds, unlike Cody. The Treshawn fight, I think that Treshawn slept on Cody's hands. I think Treshawn thought it was a joke going into that fight, and he got caught. And then the Mihal fight, we got back to reality on Cody Brundage. So now here against Hodolfo Vieira, uh, Hodolfo's got ridiculous jujitsu credentials. He's got better output on the feet than Cody Brundage. You know, in other spots when he's actually fighting real strikers with takedown defense, then you have to worry about his stand-up. But in this fight specifically, I think he's got better stand-up than, than Cody Brundage. And then on the mat, you know, you got an average wrestler versus like a world champion jujitsu guy. So I, I got the world champion jujitsu guy in that scenario all day. So give me Rodolfo Vieira to come out here, most likely submit Cody Brundage, but man, like he doesn't have to submit him. Like if he wants to come out here and test his stand up, get some rounds in, get some octagon time in and like, you know, see how that stand ups come along. This is a fight where you can test your stand up in. So I would not be surprised to see Rodolfo take that approach. But again, if he wants to go back to his Brazilian jiu-jitsu roots, that's there as well. So I think there's multiple paths to victory for Hodolfo. Um, and even if he's a gasser, this other guy's a gasser too. And I think Hodolfo is the tougher guy in this fight. So for that reason, I'm going to go with the favorite, Hodolfo Vieira. Now, next up in the featherweight division, and y'all, my boy Dominic brought up a good point. 17 likes is weak as fuck. Come on, man. Get, get me at least to 18.5, right? But uh, nah, smash that like button. And if you're not subscribed, please subscribe. Next up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between the vet, Julian Arosa. He's 28 and 10. He's welcoming newcomer Fernando Padilla, who's 14 and 4. 
to the UFC. Currently, they got it. Julian Arosa minus 145. The comeback on Fernando Padilla is plus 120. This is a hard fight to call because, you know, Julian Arosa is one of these dudes that up until now, and that and this could change, but up until now, if you want to beat Julian Arosa, you must knock Julian Arosa the fuck out. Like dropping Julian Arosa is not enough. You must finish this guy. Let me tell y'all what I mean. Uh, Julian Arosa had this fight against Sean Woodson, right? Fuck, fuck the Sean Woodson fight. We'll get to that in a second. Let's go. Let's go back to to the uh, the Jamal Emmers fight on Contenders, right? Jamal Emmers goes out there, drops Julian Arosa in that first round. That was not enough because he let him off the hook. Julian Arosa is able to come back. He gets a finish in the second round. Let's fast forward a little bit to the Sean Woodson fight. Sean Woodson gets his early knockdown. That wasn't good enough. You cannot just knock down Julian Arosa. You must finish Julian Arosa. Sean Woodson didn't finish him. <laughs> Sean Woodson's the one that gets darts choked later on in the fight. Nate Landwehr comes out there, drops Julian Arosa in the early going. He didn't finish him. Julian Arosa finishes him. Charles Jordan goes out there, also drops Julian Arosa in the early going, doesn't finish him. Big mistake. He gets darts choked in the third round. Uh, the Steven Peterson fight. Steven was wobbling him all over the place, but wasn't able to finish him. As a result, he lost the decision. So I'm just saying, man, if you like historically speaking, if you want to beat Julian Arosa, you know, aside from a couple decisions like the Patty fight, which a lot of people thought was a bullshit decision, which tends to be a, re a recurring theme with Patty fights, right? You know, Jared Gordon fight. But, like, a lot of people thought that, um, that uh, you know, Erosa beat Patty in that decision. And then the other decision he lost was the Grant Dawson fight. Fernando Padilla does not have the grappling of Grant Dawson. So let's just write those two off. Now, let's get back to business. So the guys that beat Julian Erosa, they knock him the fuck out. And if Fernando can come out here and do that, I don't have a doubt that Fernando can drop him. But it's not, like I said, it is not enough to drop Julian Arosa. You must finish Julian Arosa. Now, with that being said, are we at the point finally where Julian Arosa, you know, he's just going to start getting knocked out every single fight? Kind of like, you know, like back when Chuck Liddell used to be able to hit him with a baseball bat, he'd keep walking forward, but eventually his chin went. And then he would just lose every single fight by knockout. Are we finally at that point with Julian Arosa? Someone says something about Caceres, like who gets knocked out by Caceres? Bro, it was a head kick. Shin to chin is knocking anybody out. Like, and Caceres is a seasoned vet of the sport. So shin to chin, I don't think there's any shame in that. However, what there is, not necessarily shaming, but what there is something to be aware of is like this is like is like what? sixth knockout loss that we know of right that's not including ultimate fighter where he got knocked out by artem lovov that's not including you know amateur fights that's not including you know fights in the gym that's not including fights that are off his record so we know of seven times this man's been knocked out at what point does he start getting knocked out every single fight and it could be this weekend see here's the thing with fernando fernando's tough fernando's mexican so you already know like for the most part, if you're a Mexican fighter, you got that dog in you. This kid does have that dog in him. Example, this kid was only 6-0, and and he was in there fighting Dan Ige, 
on the regional scene. So this kid wasn't out here patting his record. Like he was down to fight tough guys off the bat. And he went out there against Dan Ige. Look, he lost a decision, but that's still a tough fight to take on your regional scene. He went out there against Derek Manor. He submitted him in the first round. So he's been in there with UFC vets, you know, lost to Spike Carlisle, but he still fought good competition outside of the UFC to where he's ready for this opportunity. Now, he's only got four knockouts on his record, but that's not something to like scoff at because just because he has four knockouts on his record, that doesn't mean that Saturday he can't come out there and, and have his fifth, right? He can absolutely get his fifth. Um, I just think that if he doesn't, knock Julian Arosa out that Julian is just going to kind of have the more volume is going to kind of be the more savvy guy here the more just you know the guy that feels more at home inside the octagon but I'm not counting out Fernando like coming to the UFC with 18 fights under your belt and you've paid your dues you've been dreaming of this moment forever not to mention that also the dynamic of you know this is one of the first times in a while where Julian Arosa isn't going to be significantly taller than his opponent. You know, both guys are listed at 6-1. Fernando is also kind of a long, lanky guy. So it's going to be kind of interesting to see uh, Julian Arosa, you know, fight a guy that's as tall as him, right? That's something we don't see often. But when Julian Arosa's on his game, man, like, look at that Hakeem Dawadu fight, man. Hakeem Dawadu was all the talk of the town. He was a guy that people were thinking was going to enter the top 10. He was the guy that people were thinking like, hey, like, Cause I don't know if some of y'all remember, I've been watching Hakeem Dawadu since the world series of fighting. Like y'all know this league called PFL before they were called PFL. They were called WSOF world series of fighting. I've been watching Hakeem Dawadu fight Steven Seiler on world series of fighting since however long ago. Right. And even back then people were saying that kid was talented. So the fact that, you know, Julian handled Hakeem Dawadu the way that he did, like from time to time, Julian Arosa is going to absolutely surprise you. It's just, on the other side of things, he gets knocked out a lot. He is absolutely susceptible and prone to the KO. So does that happen here? That's the big question. I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to be surprised if it does, and I'm not going to be surprised if it doesn't. Pure pick, I'm going to go with Julian Arosa because of the experience, but, like, guys, I'm not in the business of laying chalk on Julian Arosa, period. Laying chalk on Julian Arosa is asking for problems. This man is chinny. This man's been knocked out seven times. The kid he's fighting is super hungry. So there's a dogger pass situation. Again, pure pick. I'll go Julian. Not convicted in it. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Waldo Cortez Acosta. They call him Salsa Boy. He's 9-0. He's taking on Marcos Rogerio de Lima Pezao, who's 28-1. And currently, they got it. Marcos Rogerio de Lima pays out. Minus 182, the comeback on Waldo is plus 157. So this is a tough one for me as well because, you know, historically speaking, Marcos Rogerio de Lima pays out is a guy that I look to fade. But to give him some credit, man, this guy has been in the UFC since 2011. Um, actually, that's not true. Since 2014. For some reason, they, they, like, they got his... Stats up for strike force on UFC stats. I guess it's because you know UFC bought strike force, but I didn't know they counted the, the numbers back then. But this guy's been in the UFC since 2014, and we know exactly what Marcos Rogero de Lima brings to the table. The guy swings big bombs, he's got nasty leg kicks, 
offensively speaking, his grappling is on point. It's just defensively speaking, that's where I've always had an issue, and that's where I've successfully faded him in the past against Nikita Krylov in 2015, against Antigulov in 2016. And both those submissions that Nikita Krylov and Antigulov had on Marcos Rogerio de Lima Pezao, it didn't even look like they were fully locked in. So there's always kind of been, you know, kind of that bully aspect to de Lima where like, you know, if he's the hammer, he looks great. But as soon as you present him with any kind of adversity, he doesn't have a reputation for being the toughest either. Um, and, you know, like I mentioned, the Krylov fight, the Antigulov fight, but like we can even go further. Let, let's, let's talk about this man's um, heavyweight fight against Stefan Struve. So he goes out there, drops Stefan Struve in like the first 10 seconds, um, 10 eights him in the first round. The strike count for the entire fight was 25 to zero. Stefan Struve did not land a single strike on Marcos Ogerio. But in round two, he pulled another one of his stunts and he got su uh, submitted again. So it's kind of ridiculous. Um, so, he, but here's the thing Waldo is not exactly known for coming out here and submitting people. He's actually someone that's going to come out here and bang with Pezal de Lima. So that's what makes it interesting. So from that dynamic, I mean, we haven't really seen Waldo get cracked per se at the UFC level. Now I know um, in pure boxing, he's been knocked out, but pure boxing and MMA, like that, those are two different sports. So I don't really give a shit that he got knocked out in some boxing match. Like, that, that doesn't mean anything to me. Uh, what matters to me is the volume difference here. And let me explain what I mean to y'all. So in so Waldo, so he has his contender series fight, knocks out some random dude. Good job. You're in the UFC now. They give him a can, uh, Jared Candera, and he handled Jared Candera like a can. You know what I mean? Maybe ate a couple more leg kicks than I would have wanted. And also, that's something to note here against Rogero de Lima, who's also a big leg kicker. Um, but he got he got his first UFC win under his belt. But the next fight against Chase Sherman was a huge step in the right direction because this guy goes out there. First round's kind of close, but man, in round two against Chase Sherman, Waldo literally landed more strikes in round two against Chase Sherman than Marcos Rogerio de Lima's landed in any fight he's ever had. Like, so total. Waldo landed 147 significant strikes in all three rounds against Chase, but in round two, just round two, he landed 71 significant strikes. Uh, Marcos Ogero's never even been past like this, the, the 70 mark in a fight. So we know who's got the output here. It's just kind of the experience favors De Lima. We also got questions about, you know, the ground game of, uh, you know, of Waldo. We don't know what happens there. But there's a lot of unknowns, and I, I don't really trust Hogerio, so I kind of do think there's a dog or pass situation. I'm a lean with the dog, but I'm not really in a rush. Normally, if like I lean with the dog, I just have to bet him by default. But it's just like if you ask me who I would bet on if a gun was put, put to my head, probably the dog. But like I don't know, this one could go either way. Um, like let's see how good Waldo is. You know, he's a guy with a baseball background. And you can tell, man, I mean, when he throws that right hand, it's like he's pitching a fastball, man. So he's he's definitely a very good athlete. Let's just see. This is a good test. This is that next step up the ladder. You know, you got past Candera. You got past Chase Sherman. So now we're giving you Rogerio de Lima. Let's see what you do with this test. 
I don't know if he passes it or not. Maybe, maybe not. But I'll lean with this being a dog or pass situation. A <laughs> tough one to call. Now, kicking off the main card in the welterweight division, we got Josh Quinlan. He's 6-0, and taking on Trey Waters, who's 7-1. and Currently, they got it. Josh Quinlan, minus 180. The comeback on Trey Waters is plus 155. So I'll be honest with you all. I've been waiting for my opportunity to fade Josh Quinlan. Like, I know he's got very heavy hands. And even that might be a bit overrated because, like, like he knocked out Jason Witt. Like, I, you know, like I bet some of y'all can knock out Jason Witt, real talk. But, you know, I know it's fun to talk about Jason Witt, but he's all, but this kid, you know, is also knocked out, you know, like five other opponents, too. So he definitely has heavy hands. I just have questions about what happens when this guy gets extended. And what's his heart like? Because I have a theory that this guy is a, a steroid juice head. And I'm just not exactly like he's popped twice. Uh, one of them, his fight got overturned. The other one, they kind of like gave him some kind of pass. And he was able to just fight the week after. And then he ends up knocking out Jason Witt, which like if you're in the UFC and you haven't figured out how to knock out Jason Witt yet, which is crazy because somehow Brian Barberena didn't knock out Jason Witt, which is like one of life's great mysteries. I still don't understand to this day how Brian Barberena didn't knock out Jason Witt. Like if I were to tell you all right now, Brian Barberena and Jason Witt got into a fight and only one guy got knocked down, y'all would be like, yeah, obviously Brian Barberena knocked down Jason Witt. Jason Witt knocked down Brian Barberena. Fucking crazy. But all right, so back to this. So Quinlan, he's kind of like, you know, just like a big KO threat. Not sure what else he brings to the table. We got to see more. We, we don't have much of a sample size. Trey Waters, he's got some big physical attributes. You know, he's six foot five. He's got the 77-inch reach. But with that said, does he know how to use his height to his advantage? You know, he hasn't really fought anybody until the Gabriel Bonfim fight. And Man, Gabriel Bonfim is a monster because so Gabriel Bonfim goes for that takedown, right? And Trey Waters locks him up with a power guillotine, like one of those long man chokes. And like, you have to be fucking good to escape one of those power guillotines from like one of these dudes that is like six foot five. Like that, like imagine if Machida escaped that guillotine against John Jones. Imagine if that fucking kid on the streets escaped that guillotine against Nate Diaz. You know what I mean? Like, it's just tough to escape a power guillotine. And not only does Gabriel Bonfim escape the guillotine, he uses it against Trey Waters and gets him in a Von Flu choke, which y'all know is a counter to a guillotine when a guy doesn't let go. But Trey couldn't let go because of what Gabriel did to him positionally. So that's really more credit to Gabriel than it is taken away from Trey. Because like I think that if Trey attacks that guillotine on Quinlan, he's going to tap Quinlan. Um, it's just that you know his bounce back fight which is only a couple weeks ago, Trey Waters, right? I thought he looked like shit in that fight, man. Like, I thought that his output was super low. I felt like he wasn't doing anything. And then he finally decides to let his hands go, and he knocks the guy out with a beautiful combo. But up until then, like, there was no output. There was no pace. And, and I just, I can't stand these guys with no output and no pace. But what makes this tough to call is, like, what, evidence do i have that josh knows how to fight a guy this tall like let's look at the heights of all the guys josh has fought so debut opponent six feet tall next opponent six foot one next opponent 
six foot three. Okay, that, that's pretty tall. Next opponent, five foot eight. Next opponent, six feet. Next opponent, also six feet. Then Jason Witt, who is five ten. And then uh, and now you're at Trey Water. So he's fought one guy that's six foot three. Um, and he actually knocked him out. So that's a good sign. But now you're dealing with a guy that's six foot five. So does he know how to fight a tall man? Does he know how to properly close the distance, get on the inside? Because if he does know how to do that, I think that he's got a good chance to knock out Waters. Because Waters, like, you know, I like the guys that have swag and that play around and that are cocky, but they have to back it up, right? They, they have to go out there and, like, you can't just showboat and not have any offense. Like, I want you to damage your opponent and then do your cocky moves, then do your dance, then have your swag. But like when it's zero output and you're trying to show off, it's just not a good look. So I'm going to pick Josh Quinlan here, not confidently, because like I told you all at the beginning of this breakdown, I've been waiting for my opportunity to pick uh, to fade Josh Quinlan. And it's going to be funny when I pass on this fight and Trey Waters is the guy to upset him, right? But I just haven't been impressed with Trey Waters at all. Um, not that I've been impressed with Quinlan, but at least Quinlan knocks people the fuck out consistently. Let's see if we can continue that trend. I'll pick Quinlan, not confidently. Next up in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Martin Boudet. He's 11 and one taking on Jake Collier. Who's 13 and eight. Currently they got it. A dead pick them minus 110 Boudet minus 110 Collier. Um, who was it on Twitter that said Boudet equals Boutte? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That shit was funny as fuck. Uh, I was talking about this recently, how, you know how a lot of y'all thought that Martin Boudet's last fight against Lucas was, was his big robbery. I didn't actually see that fight. I'll tell y'all why. Um, so on that card, it was the same night that Cheeto fought Dominic Cruz. So let me explain y'all what happened. So Gabriel Benitez is on the prelims. And Gabriel Benitez knocks out Charlie Ontivero. So, you know, we're enjoying the night. We're having a good time. Then right after that, they put on Nina Nunes versus Cynthia Calvillo. And let me tell y'all what, if any of y'all have problems sleeping at night, if the melatonin doesn't work, the ambient doesn't work, you throw on that fight between Nina Nunes and Cynthia Calvillo, and it'll knock you out because it knocked me out in a way where I slept through the entire Nina Nunes and Calvillo fight. And then I woke up while uh, Martin Boudet and Lukas Breschke were waiting for, you know, Bruce Buffer to announce the winner. So I wake up, I see Martin Boudet get his arm raised. I'm like, okay, cool. And then I go on Twitter and it's this massive fucking uproar about how this was one of the biggest robberies people have ever seen in their life and this and that. And, you know, when you look at the numbers, the numbers kind of reflect that. Um, but when Lucas fought recently, um, you know, against, an ATL guy, Carl uh, Williams, and I actually got the chance to watch that fight. I mean, I see where people were coming from, but I also kind of felt like maybe people exaggerated it a little bit. Maybe, you know, it wasn't as big of a robbery as people thought. Um, but nonetheless, it wasn't a great look for Martin Boudet. I think what Martin Boudet brings to the table is that he's a big heavyweight. You know, he's going to weigh in at the limit 265, but I mean weigh in at the limit as in cutting down to 265 because his opponent, Jake's going to weigh in at the limit too. But Jake's not a natural, uh, you know, heavyweight. Nate's a former middle, uh, not Nate. Jake's a former middleweight. Jake's a guy that used to fight at 185. Then he was fighting at 205. 
And then the pandemic happened. He comes in, you know, six months pregnant against Tom Aspinall. You know what I'm saying? So this guy's not a natural heavyweight. Um, now, he might have a speed advantage because he is the smaller guy here, probably has a little bit better uh, volume than a guy like Martin Boudet. But what I'm worried about, you know, for Jay Collier is this is a, a spot where like Martin Boudet can get his game going, push him up against the fence, start landing knees to that gut, start draining the gas tank and start showing him that like, hey, this is a big boy division. No middleweights are going to be able to hang here. Um, and maybe you see a stunt similar to the Chris Barnett fight, not necessarily where Jake almost gets a finish early and then quits, but kind of where, you know, early goings, maybe a little competitive, but as the fight progresses, Martin can kind of wear on him in the clinch and just kind of run away with the decision that way. So it's another one where, man, this card is full of fights where it's like, I don't know, man. Like, do y'all have a confident pick on this one? I mean, like, how can you be confident? in Martin Boutte versus Jake Collier. Um, I'm confident there's going to be funny moments in the fight, but yeah, I don't know, man. I'll go Martin Boudet. Now, this next one in the flyweight division between Cody Durden and Charles Johnson, this fight I'm excited for. So before I talk about Cody Durden and Charles Johnson, y'all do me a favor. Y'all smash that like button. Y'all hit that subscribe button. When this is over, y'all do me a huge favor and leave me a comment. Also, feel free, feel free to share. And anything else y'all think of that can help the show out, greatly appreciated. So, next up in the flyweight division, this is a real fucking fight. This is like, we've been going through this Martin Boudet and Trey Waters and Hogerio de Lima and like Cody Brundage. Like, what, what is this, man? Like, what is this? And I'm not one to shit on the UFC. I've been watching every fucking card for how long now? For how long? For almost two decades right that's <laughs> crazy bro but we got to a real fight now cody durden versus charles johnson cody durden he's 14 4 and 1 taking on charles johnson who was 13 and 4 we got the former nfc flyweight champ cody durden taking on the former lfa flyweight champ charles johnson so both these guys won belts on their regional scene came into the ufc as champions and they both had mixed results but they've also both shown potential where you know, a good little win streak from either guy and they can find themselves in the top 15 in a weight class like flyweight where, you know, it's stacked, but it's not deep, right? Like it's stacked in terms of like, you got to be a killer to get in that top 15, but you know, a couple wins will get you right there into one of those marquee matchups at flyweight. So now before I talk about this fight, I, I must preface this by saying that, you know, Cody Durden is someone I know personally. I consider Cody Dern my friend. I've been to Cody Dern's house before. I've met Cody Dern's wife and kids. So although I believe I have the ability to break down this fight objectively, um, I mean, there is some bias here because Cody's my buddy. Like, I mean, we talked on the phone last week, you know, so like I, uh, I like this guy a lot. Um, but I like Charles too, man. I'm a fan of Charles. You know, Charles... Came into the UFC, like I said, as a champion. I like his style. He's got a lot of swag. He's got good volume. Um, so, yeah, I'm a fan of both these guys, but I'm a friend of Cody. But put all that aside, you know, because I'm friends with lots of fighters, and not all, all my fighter friends are in the UFC. Not all my fighter friends are winning all their fights, you know. Some of my guys are world champions, and some of my guys will never make it, right? But that's just a fight game. So 
I, I can put that shit on the on, on the back burner. So now let's break down this matchup objectively. I really think that Charles Johnson is underestimating Cody Dern. If you look at the kind of stuff that Charles Johnson's been posting on his social media, the kind of stuff he's been saying in his interviews, like he thinks he's just gonna come out here and walk through Cody Durden. And if he does that, hey, I'll tip my cap to you because only one guy's been able to walk through Cody Durden. And that was Mokayev. And y'all can bring up this Jimmy Flick fight. Dude, Cody was busting up Jimmy Flick. And Jimmy Flick got a once-in-a-lifetime submission. If they ever ran it back, Cody would smash and mop the floor with Jimmy Flick. So the only guy to really walk through Cody Durden is Mokayev. And Mokayev also walked through Charles Johnson just in a different way. Mokayev set records on both these guys. Against Cody, Mokayev set a record for one of the fastest finishes in flyweight history. And against Charles Johnson, Mokayev set a record for most takedowns in flyweight history. So Mokayev set records against both these guys. What I've been hearing from Charles Johnson is he thinks this is going to be an, an easy fight. Like he really thinks that he's just going to come out here scot-free, not have to go through much, and he's just going to get this guy out of there. And I don't think it's going to be that easy. I don't think that Cody Dern's an easy fight, man. Um, so. Cody Dern, actually, before his last fight, he went to Fortis MMA. You know, he did like two weeks there. And y'all know Coach Safe Saud, right? Uh, the general, you know, one of the most respected coaches in MMA, a guy that when he talks, we listen. Coach Safe Saud told Cody Dern, he said, Dern, why don't you let your hands go more? Your, your stand-up's better than your wrestling. Coach, those, those are Coach Safe Saud's words. Those, those are not Daniel Levy's words. So for Coach Safe Saud to say, that Cody Durden's striking is better than his wrestling. I mean, that's got to hold some merit because I don't think Cody Durden's striking is bad at all. Um, I mean, like, when he stood up with Chris Gutierrez, I mean, he wasn't getting, like, battered or anything like that. Um, he's only been dropped once by a flying knee. Like, a flying knee is going to drop down, uh, is going to drop anybody. Um, but, I mean, besides that, Cody's last two fights, he's dropped his last two opponents. He destroyed J.P. Byers quicker than anybody else did. Montel Jackson didn't even finish JB buys. Um, and then the last fight against Mota where Mota tested positive on fight night for meldonium, you know, that Russian drug. And then three weeks later tested, uh, tested positive again. So Cody told me that like when he was in there with Mota, like, you know, Mota, like, Felt, felt stronger than anyone he's ever faced. And Mota never got tired, even deep into the fight. Uh, so it was one of those things where I was like, yo, like, holy shit. Like, this guy's really on some stuff. But I felt like that last fight, those last two fights were a big step in the right direction for Cody. Um, you know, the fight against Moda, you know, he floors Moda in the early going, and he was able to easily grind him out. And I know there's been talk about, oh, Cody's gas tank, as if this guy's some notorious gasser. I think it's more so of a pace thing. You know, it was, it's a pacing thing. Like, when you push a ridiculous pace like Cody Dern does, like, what, are you expected to get, you know, for your cardio to get? Like I said, when you're driving 100 miles per hour on the highway, do you think that your gas your your gas tank is going to increase or decrease? Of course it's going to decrease if you're going 100 miles per hour. So pacing is something that he's had to work on. But luckily for him, he's training with some of the best people in the world. So for this camp, he's been at ATT training with Pantoja, with Pedro Munoz, with Adriano Moraz, you know, the guy that knocked out Demetrius Johnson with Kyoji Horaguchi, um, some other guys too. I forgot who else, but like, yeah, dude, but let, let, let's just leave it at that. Pantoja, 
apparently Pantoja has been giving him compliments too. And Pantoja is not one to kiss anybody's ass. But Pantoja, after one of their rounds, was like, hey, man, like, you're really, like, you're getting better, man. So Cody knows every day how he stacks up against a UFC world title challenger in Pantoja, who's about to fight for the belt, who already beat Brandon Moreno twice. He gets to fight. He gets to train with that guy every day. I heard that uh, Cody and Pedro Munoz had some serious wars in the gym as well. Um, Kyoji Horiguchi is a problem to deal with. Zalgas, a former opponent of Charles Johnson, that's the one Cody's also been training with. Now, interestingly enough, to Charles's credit, so if y'all go on MMA decisions, y'all will see a lot of people thought that Zagas beat Charles Johnson and that it was this massive robbery. And if y'all go on MMA decisions, y'all will see I'm one of the only people that scored that fight for Charles Johnson, and I stick with that to this day. And I'll tell y'all why. If y'all pull up that Charles Johnson versus Zagas fight, you know, right when this is done, watch it closely. Zagas's shots are hitting on the shoulder, are hitting on the elbow. He's swinging at air, whereas Charles Johnson's shots are popping the head back, are landing clean. I just thought the cleaner shots were landed by Charles all day. So that's why I scored that that uh, Zagas fight for Charles. I even thought that there was a case that Charles beat O'Day, but what really bothered me was that he gassed in that fight. Y'all like to talk about Cody Durden gassing. What, what about Charles Johnson gassing his last fight? What about the fact, let, let's pull this up, right? Charles Johnson, a guy who has a reputation, he's a champion in another organization, he's a former cross-country runner, so therefore his cardio must be impeccable. So he's a guy that he said he wants to fight six times this year. He wants to be the Cowboy Cerrone of the flyweight division, right? So he's got that first fight against Jimmy Flick, runs through him, and he's like, hey, I didn't take any damage. Let me hop back on. Let me get back on the horse, go back out there and fight uh, Ode Osborne. Charles Johnson, not only did he need the fight to be a catchweight against Ode Osborne, so that means that it had to be 130 pounds, not because not of Ode, because of Charles. And then in round three, where we all expect that's where Charles is going to take over, that's where Charles excels because uh, Ode is known for being a gasser. Ode is known for being the chinny one. Charles was the one that gassed in round three, and like he's been making a bunch of excuses, sinus infection, long flight, this and that. I mean, it is what it is, bro. Like, the bottom line is Charles Johnson gassed bad in his last fight, and he gassed worse than Cody Durden's gassed in any of his fights. So um, people saying there's a cardio issue on the Durden side, I think it's more of like a pacing thing. And if he can pace himself properly, I think he'll be good to go. So basically, the way I see this fight going is I think that Charles Johnson is expecting Cody Durden to exclusively wrestle um, here, which... I understand why he'd think that Cody's a damn good wrestler, you know? So I, I get that, that, you know, that line of thinking, you know, Cody landed four takedowns against Carlos Moda landed one against Mokaev, you know, ended up getting caught, but landed a takedown against, against him landed five against Orichi Lang and then two against flick and two against Gutierrez. So he's landed takedowns in every single UFC fight, except the JP buys fight where he knocked him out in a minute and some change. Right. So Charles has very good reason to think that he's going to get taken down here. It's just back to what Coach Say Sayud said. Like, Cody's not like some slouch standing. Like, Cody's got power in his hands. He's got good Muay Thai. He's even had professional boxing matches, had professional kickboxing matches. Like, Cody can strike. And what I think is going to happen here is I think that Cody's going to give Charles that element of surprise where Charles is probably going to come in here fighting with his hands down, expecting, you know, because when you fight with your hands down, you're you're looking to stuff, right? You're looking to get those underhooks as quick as possible. 
He's going to be fighting with his hands down, expecting takedowns off the bat. That's where I think Cody's going to come out here and surprise Charles, crack him a couple times. Um, and from there, when Charles is like, oh, shit, this guy's standing with me, that's when Cody can mix it up and take him down, and I think he will take him down. Now, to Charles' credit, Charles is not someone that gets held down. Charles is someone that when you take him down, he's able to, to pop back up, and you got to give him a lot of credit. His get-up game is very good. Um, but I think Cody's top control is good to where he can accrue some some top control, um, so some minutes on top. What I'm most worried about is Charles Johnson has a really opportunistic uh, power guillotine. Like we were talking about earlier, you know, that Nate Diaz power guillotine on the street, that John Jones power guillotine against Machida. Charles Johnson has a nice power guillotine. He even threatened Mokayev with it in round three of their fight. Now, Cody's aware of that. Uh, you know, we've talked, he's, he's very well aware of what Charles Johnson brings to the table. He studied all his fights. He he's done his homework. He knows exactly what he's getting into. Um, so, I mean, that's my concern is, you know, late in the fight, you know, maybe getting caught in a, in one of those guillotines. But with that being said, man, like I said, if you, if you look at this kind of stuff, Charles has been saying, um, I really think, and I try not to like take the social media shit into account because at the end of the day, talk is cheap and they're just trying to promote the fight and they're still going to get in there and fight and this and that. But just my gut tells me Charles is underestimating Cody Durden and he thinks this is going to be a joke. He thinks that this is just going to be some easy fight. He thinks this is going to be cute. Right. And no one's ever walked through Cody except Mokayev, who also set a record on Charles Johnson. So like I said, if Charles can come out here and finish him or beat him, tip your cap. Cause at the end of the day, I respect both guys a lot, but, um, I got Cody Dern here. I think he's got more, more ways to win. I think he's going to surprise Charles on the feet, eventually mixing some takedowns and just have a more well-rounded performance just has to be able to keep it up for all three rounds. And if he can do that and, you know, put together the most mature performance of his life, really like let all those hours he's been putting in working with Pantoja, Pedro Munoz, Kyoji Horiguchi, Adriano Moraes, Zalgas, all these guys. And, you know, he said there's been a lot of growth this camp, and if that translates on fight night, then I think this is his fight to win. So for that reason, I'm going to go with Cody Duran to upset Charles Johnson. And I want to give a lot of y'all credit. Y'all that went in there, got that plus 170, man, y'all did a great job because I was thinking, like, Charles always gets a lot of respect at the betting window. Even when Charles was fighting Mokayev and he was this big underdog, like a plus 400 dog, that was like people's play of the week. I don't know if y'all remember. I remember because people were telling me like, how are you not betting Charles here? I was like, uh, cause he can't wrestle, <laughs> but, uh, no, nah, but, uh, shout out to y'all. I got that plus one seventy on, on Durden. Um, so like, you know, I was thinking I, I'd get something like that. I go to sleep. I wake up. He's plus one fifty. I was like, okay, now the Charles Johnson's action. Now the Charles Johnson action is going to come in. I go to sleep. I wake up and then he's plus one twenty. I was like, all right, now the fucking Charles Johnson action is going to come in. So I'm still waiting for it to come in. And if uh, I get a little better line on Durden, I might roll the dice. I usually don't like to bet on my friends just because like, uh, you know, of the bias there and this and that. Uh, but man, like, I really think Charles has been, I really think Charles is underestimating him to a point. Like go pull up any of his interviews. Um, look at what he's saying online and then go pull up Cody's interviews. Like Cody's locked in. Cody's not disrespecting anybody. Charles is the one that calling him Cody turd. And he thinks this is, he thinks this is a joke. He really thinks he's going to come in here and just spank him. And like I said, if he does that props to you, 
but I don't think it's going to be that easy. So for that reason, I got Cody Durden. More ways to win. Underdog in a fight that's going to be competitive. Give me Durden. All right, now we got a couple uh, what-the-fuck fights, man. Uh, we got past the, the last good one, but now we got... Next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Stephanie Egger. She's 8-3, and three, taking on Irene uh, Alexiva, who's 4-1. and one. Irina, excuse me. Currently, they got it. Egger, minus 300. Irina, plus 240. So they called this new chick the Russian Ronda, which, like, Man, if you're, look, so she does have a judo background, but, like, if you're going to call yourself the Russian Ronda, like, I expect you to have multiple armbar wins on your record. She's only got one that we know of. Um, and we just don't really know enough about this chick. Whereas with Stephanie Egger, you know, she's far, far better competition. Now, granted, she's lost a far better competition, but, you know, she's still been in there with Tracy Cortez and Myra Bueno Silva, who are both, like, either top 15 right now or who are on the cusp of being top 15 fighters. Um, and one thing I got to give, you know, Stephanie a lot of credit for is she finishes the majority of her fights, man. I mean, like Stephanie's got seven wins via finish and only one decision win. So like Stephanie's out here finishing fights. And one thing uh, my buddy Kunath brought up yesterday on his show that we did together was the under two and a half here is plus 128. So, like I said, seven out of eight of Stephanie's wins have been inside the distance. She's a minus 300 favorite. You know we don't want to play that. But under two and a half rounds is plus 128. So, if y'all conclude that she's going to come out here and armbar Russian Ronda, or if Russian Ronda is going to armbar her, then maybe there's value here. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I'll I'll pick Egger, more experienced, probably a little bigger. Um, yeah, all that. But. I don't really know how it's going to go down, but I think from a betting perspective that under two and a half at dog money might be a good look because most of these chick fights, they go the distance. You know what I'm saying? That's why it's under two and a half, not under one and a half. But like I said, seven out of eight of Stephanie's wins have been finished. Um, this chick she's fighting only has five pro fights. Don't be surprised if this one gets finished inside the distance. Let's see. I'll pick Stephanie. Um, so I heard Brian Kelher's out. Is that true? I'm going to look that up on Twitter. Uh, because I can break down his fight with Journey Newsome if it's still happening, but if it's not happening, let's see. Oh, yeah, it's true. Damn. So Brian Kelleher is out of his fight against Journey Newsome. Marcus McGee steps in. Who the fuck is Marcus McGee? All right, let me look up. Let's do a quick little tapology cap on Marcus McGee. Uh, Marcus the Maniac McGee. He's only six and one. All right, he's not very experienced. He's a five foot eight bantamweight with a 70 inch reach. So He's got a longer reach than Max Holloway. That, that, that's nice to know. Um, trains out of the lab, so that's a good gym. Let's see what he's been up to on his regional scene. He fought most recently earlier this year. All right, that's good. Hasn't really fought the best level of competition. Got choked out uh, two fights ago, granted, by a guy who now is 8-2. and two. So I guess this 8-2 and two kid's probably going to get like a contender series uh, opportunity. Um, and, uh, okay, Moy says... Arizona padded record, blue belt, decent striker. Okay, that's cool. So, Journey Newsom. Okay, so here's the deal with Journey. You know, Journey's kind of like explosive in the early going. And Journey's one of these guys that, like, he's got a big right hand. I actually think that Journey's been getting better about stuffing takedowns. Like, I know he still got taken down his last fight and this and that, but like, he got taken out fucking six times his last fight, actually, to be frank with you. Um, but I, I still feel like I've been seeing improvements in his get up game. Um, 
just you know the volume's a bit on the lower side. I've never been that impressed with him. But he is a hard hitter and he is an experienced guy. And last time he fought someone this inexperienced was Fernie Garcia, and Journey was able to go out there and give him a bit of a vet lesson. So, I mean, I don't know what the odds are. I'm guessing Journey's going to be a favorite here. Um, but again, I haven't watched a single second of tape on Marcus McGee because this fight literally got announced as I'm doing the stream. So maybe this kid's like, you know, something special. I mean, like, he's got all six of his wins are by knockout. So let's see. Maybe this is going to be a fun, explosive fight. I don't know. Uh, I'll go with Journey Newsome just to be like the more experienced guy, the one that's fought at the UFC level already, um, and the guy that's ready to go on fight week. So we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. But yeah, I'll, I'll go Journey Newsome against the newcomer. And then last but not least, um, in the Bantamweight division, we got two newcomers. We got Haley Cowan. She's 7-2, and two, taking on Jamie Lynn Horth, who's 5-0. and oh. Currently, they got it. Jamie Lynn Horth, minus 150. The comeback on Haley Cowan it is plus uh, 125. And interestingly enough, it actually opened minus 205 um, Haley Cowan, plus 175 Horth. So the line flipped. Um, a lot of people think Horth is the side here. So here's the thing with Cowan. Like, she's definitely athletic. She's like a good athlete, good wizard kicks, and she's going to be able to get a, away with a lot of things just on the size she has for the weight class and the kind of athlete she is. But a lot of things in her game, especially on the mat, need to be corrected. Like, you go back to her contender series fight against Claudia Lecce, um, and, like, Haley was doing a lot of good things, but then she'd, like, give up her back for extended periods. And this is nothing new, man, because, you know, two fights prior – when when Haley Cowan was five and one, she fought some chick that was one and two, one and two. My man Haley Cowan was like a minus five hundred favorite in that spot, and she gets guillotine choked against some random one and two chick. The one and two chick is now two and two. So you know, bums have been out here submitting her, um, and then not just one. Victoria Leonardo also submitted her. So here's the thing with Jamie Lynn Horth. You know, she's the former LFA champion. She's coming off a bit a bit of a layoff, but like. You know, I, I normally don't talk about amateurs because it's like the Allen Iverson quote. Like, we ain't talking about practice. You know what I'm saying? We talking about practice? I know we ain't talking about practice. Um, but this chick, Jamie Lynn Horth, beat Lupi Godinez twice in amateurs, uh, both times by decision. Um, so that at least shows that, like, grappling-wise, like, she can stuff takedowns from someone like Lupi. That's probably a good sign here. Um, and she's been doing her thing on the regional scene. She's won fights by knockout. She's won fights by submission. So I actually think that Jamie Lynn Horth has the higher ceiling here. Um, but, yeah, it's hard to have too much confidence, and I'm not into the chalk price. Also not interested in taking the dog shot, but pure pick, I'll go Jamie Lynn Horth uh, to win our USC debut against Haley Cowan. All right. Um, so I'm going to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So while I do that, y'all drop me some comments, some questions, anything y'all want me to get to, I'll address that. But first, let's talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So y'all already know damn well what the fight to watch is. It's the people's main event between Cody Duran and Charles Johnson. Charles Johnson has been talking a ridiculous amount of shit about Cody Durden. And uh, Cody Durden's a guy that, like, Win, lose, or draw. All his fights have been exciting. I don't know why people are acting like this guy's like some lay and pray guy. Like, dude, he dropped his last opponent who was on fucking Russian steroids. The fight before that, he knocked out JP Byers quicker than anybody else had in the UFC. The fight prior to that, yeah, he lost to Mokaev, but it was in exciting fashion. Uh, prior to that, he had a hard fought battle against Arichi Lang. 
Prior to that, he was busting up Jimmy Flick up until the flying triangle. And then prior to that, he goes to a draw on five days short notice against Chris Gutierrez. Like, how the fuck are people calling him boring? He is not boring. Um, and we know Charles Johnson isn't boring either. Uh, this is going to be a great fight. Bragging rights on the line, a potential ranking on the line, and a big fight on the line. Um, so someone said some people don't like him, so they are fading him. Yeah, they don't like him because of that speech he had against Arichi Lang. Like, what, we can't be villains now? We can't, like, fucking talk a little shit? People are calling him racist? Like, oh, okay, so if Cody Duran's racist against Asians, then then tell me how come Kyoji Horiguchi is one of his best friends. I'd, lo I'd love to hear why. I'd love to hear why Cody Dern and Kyoji Horiguchi are super close if Cody's racist against Asians. Stop the fucking bullshit. I hate this, This you know, ever since 2020, people have gotten soft, man. Like, he didn't even say anything bad. Like, I really, in my opinion, he didn't. Like, it was, we're talking a little shit. We're watching people smash each other with punches to the face. Like, like what? Like, what is the big deal here, man? Like, you can't talk a little bit of shit. Like, say, he, he sent him packing, like, whatever. Who gives a shit, man? Come on, man. People are trying to turn that into something it wasn't. Like, fuck off, man. Like, tell me why uh, Kyoji Horiguchi and Cody are, are close like this if he's uh, racist against Asians. Like, shut your fucking mouth. And also, I would not be friends with someone that's racist, period. So that shit, like, y'all with your fucking Karen narratives, man. Shit's, shit's a joke. Now, fighter to watch. Um. Let's go Mihal Oleg man. I mean, this is a huge opportunity. This is your chance to get on a three-fight win streak in the middleweight division against a guy in Kyle Bohio who's not only undefeated in the UFC, but is also a Damian Maya black belt, a guy that you, you've, you've had issues with grapplers in the past. Now is your chance to show that, hey, those guys at 205 were just too big for me. Now I'm at, I want to say my optimal weight class, even though I personally think 170s is optimal weight class, but... 185, you know, 20 pounds less than 205, big step in the right direction. A win here for Mihal, and he's flirting with that top 15. So for that reason, and he's a fucking plus 300 dog, Mihal is uh, my fighter to watch. All right, so now I'm down to take fan questions, fan comments, whatever y'all want, let me know. Big Bird says, Dan, do yourself a favor and take a shot on Marcus McGee at plus 235. Are, are those the odds he's at? Uh, let's see, as odds came out on Marcus McGee yet? Oh, they sure have. He's plus 220. Uh, let's see where he opened. So Journey Newsom was minus 380 on the open, plus 315 Marcus. Uh, Big Bird, I just got to watch tape on it. I mean, like, literally, this fight got announced as I was recording this podcast. So I don't know shit about Marcus McGee at the time of this, but I'm going to watch his fights, and I'll take it from there. Uh, but I appreciate you letting me know that's something I should look into. All right, I'm going to scroll up to the top, and let me know what y'all let me know what y'all got for me. Um, My boy... The quag says, Dan, I hope you're doing well. Thank you, man. I'm doing a lot better. I appreciate you asking, man. Uh, <laughs> Andre said, aren't you supposed to be doing the main event between Collier and Boudet first? I know, right? I fucked up. My boy, Kunath, let's get this money. Hey, y'all check out Kunath, man. Uh, he had me on his show yesterday. I had a great time. Thank you for having me, man. Um, Troy said, finally got in time uh, to watch this live. Troy, hey, for all y'all, don't worry about watching this live, man. Like I said, the replay is up on all platforms after this is over. So, like, if y'all can't catch it live, it's not a big deal. Like, the information's still there for y'all after the fact. So, y'all can y'all can pull this up at any point, man. But I do appreciate you going out of your way to, to make time to watch this live, too. Thank you very much, man. 
Uh, Doughboy said, you like these guys who are relentless at constant takedowns. Fuck yeah, I do, because that shit wins fights. You know I do. Um, let's see what else y'all said. Dexter Pope said, let's go. Grundy! Yeah, and he also let me know Kelleher was out before anybody else, so I appreciate that. Um, Abu Dhabi said, how come you didn't wait to bet Bilal? Uh, I'll tell you why I didn't wait to bet Bilal. I bet Bilal at plus 125 for next week, right? What's he at right now? He's at plus 102 now. So I did my job. I beat that line already, bro. Like, unless huge Gil action comes in, let's put it this way. If Gil action comes into the point where I get an even better line than plus 125 on Bilal, then I'm going to add more on Bilal. But um, my gut was telling me that that was the right time to move in. And according to the line movement, I did the right thing. So for the, for those that missed it, I got three units on Bilal Muhammad plus 125, and I got three units on Yan Zhao Nan plus 160. Two of my all-time biggest money trends. I've literally bet on them in like all of their UFC fights. And when people ask me for betting advice, I mean, I always tell them the same thing. Discipline, money management, bet on Bilal Muhammad. Discipline, money management, bet on Yan Zhao Nan. Period. If you do that every single fight, you use proper money management and discipline, you will come out on the right side of the coin because these two are money machines. Even if we lose next week, we're up all time. But I don't think we're losing next week. Now, let's see what else y'all got for me. Nicola, Nicholas says, Song knows those takedowns are coming. History with Alpha Male, going to be hard to bank on straight takedowns. Yeah, I mean, like I said, Ricky's got to mix it all up. Ricky can't just be shooting head first, you know? But like I said, Ricky, shoot 20 takedowns. Let's see... Uh, let, let's see uh, how song, let's see if songs huffing and puffing or not. You know what I'm saying? Um, uh, Dirty Reg says Kyle wins easily. Well, I mean, according to the price, Kyle is, you know, minus 375. So I'd hope a minus 375 wins easily. But I'm just saying, if he pulls some of the shit he's been pulling his last few fights and Mihal can can capitalize, there's a chance it's not so easy. Um, Sean V is back in his point saying Kyle's the 9,500 fighter on DraftKings, which basically never loses 98% win rate. Is that true? It's 98%. Um, Abe Fromanson said Mihal has been working on his takedown defense his last three camps. That's over 1.5 years of work uh, on his wrestling and grappling. Mihal KOs him. Yeah, I mean, it's dogger pass as far as I'm concerned, man. Um, Someone said, don't ever mention William Knight. I had to. I mean, we were talking about uh, Cody Brundage, right? Let's see what else y'all got for me. Uncle Wheezy. What's good, Dan? Love the shirt. Uncle Wheezy. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, this is uh, my boy uh, Marcus, the Nubian bookstore here in Atlanta, Georgia. Y'all been seeing my boy Mark has been coming out here cashing some big tickets. He cashed on Marab against Piotr Yan when a lot of sharp people were on Piotr Yan. And this man said, fuck it. He goes in there on Marab, cashes a big dog bet. And there was another one um, that he cashed too. I just don't remember what it was. But yeah, uh, that's my boy right there. Fuck with him hard. Um, Marcus, if you're watching this, we got to meet up, man. Maybe watch a fight. Maybe after, after Cody gets done with this, we can all get together, hang out sometime. Um, uh, Dominic says Waldo not KOing Jared is bad. Jared Van Der. Yeah, but I mean, bro, think about this. Let me pull up. We're all, how many people were KOing Jared Van Der? I thought people were just beating him by decision. Let me pull it up. So Jared Van Der. Um, 
I mean, okay, so Waldo wants a decision. Chase knocked him out, which was not good. Alexei choked him out. Arlovsky decisioned him. Romanov, okay, so maybe you're right. Romanov and Spivak pounded him out. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, but you also got to take into consideration that Waldo's green, man. Waldo is only 9-0, and bro. Like, And at the time, he was only 7-0. and So, like, give this kid a little bit of experience. We, we got to give him a little bit of a chance first. Um, but he got past it, you know. And it wasn't controversial in my eyes. Um, Charles Barkley says, Quinlan by KO Waters sucks. <laughs> yeah, he's just got to close the distance, man. Um, Benjamin, he says, hit that like button. I need some sleep. I'll try that. Yeah, we were talking about the Cynthia Calvia, Nino, Nina Nunes fight. Definitely, um, definitely get some sleep on that. Um all right, let's see what else y'all got. Um, oh, there he is, Marcus Williams, enjoying the show and the shirt. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, we got to represent our own, man. You know what I'm saying, bro? Too many people not looking out for their own, but we we, we look out for our own over here, bro. Um, Vam, she, Manny with the very hot take. He, he or she thinks safe Saud is a bit overrated. Interesting. I'd love to know why you think that. I definitely don't think that. Um, J as J23 says, we got to get out of the apex, Dan. This is a regional MMA card. Yeah, I mean, so would you rather have this regional MMA card in front of fans, like make people pay their hard-earned money for that? I mean, <laughs> you know, you got to host it somewhere. They're saving, they're saving costs here. Um, let's see. Okay. Dominic says, I'm going to the May 6th pay-per-view. I really like Bilal style versus Burns. How do you feel? I feel like three units on Bilal Muhammad. Dog money is how I feel. Um, Vam, she says, who benefits more from extra rounds, Song or Simone? Simone. Like I said, Song Yidong is hell on wheels those first two rounds. He can knock anybody out, but historically speaking, this guy slows down as fights progress, and Ricky Simone gets better as fights progress. So early going favor Song. But if Ricky can get you to this third, fourth, and fifth, I think that uh, he's got a very good chance here. David Dean, David Dean said your show is consistently excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much, David Dean. I appreciate that. Are you the 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 like the mental coach, dude? Because uh, I really like your work. If if I'm thinking of the right guy, but I appreciate the compliment, my man. Um, SC for all says I'm locked in, but late. I'll rewatch the show once you're done. Yeah, man. Take your time. He also says he's all in on Bilal for a five-round fight. Yeah, man, five rounds is great. Just has to be worried about the power of Dorino. If he can just not get badly compromised, he's going to push a ridiculous pace on Dorino. He's going to double, double, double him up on strikes. And when Dorino starts to get tired, that's when don't be surprised if Bilal takes him down too. So I agree with you there. Just about not getting rocked early because Dorino does have some power. And he's got good calf kicks too. Professor Chaos says he loves the Jianan bet. Yeah, I mean, I've better every single UFC fight, and I think we're, what, 7-2, 8-2, something like that? Yeah, it's been going great. And the Marina fight at plus 250, I thought we won that. So as far as I'm concerned, we're like 7-1 or 8-1, whatever. I forget how many fights she's had. Um, Vam, she said, Song has a solid chin, so even if Ricky connects, it might not slow Song. Yeah, it's not Ricky hitting him that's going to slow him down. It's Ricky's pace. That would slow him down. It's, you know, the threat of the wrestling. It's uh, just making him consistently work for everything. That's what would slow him down. Um, 
Like, like SC said, it's let's see if Yadong is still slinging the same song after five plus takedowns, right? That's like the big thing. But maybe he can knock him out before it gets there. Professor Chaos says you and Wheezy should do a show together. I, I 100% agree. Uh, love talking to Uncle Wheezy. Definitely. I, I'm all for it. Al Soe says, how about them Hawks, bro? Y'all saw that shot my boy Trey Young landed last night? Don't ever sleep on Trey Young, man. Come on now, man. Like the the blatant disrespect people give Trey Young. Let me tell y'all a little story. So a few years ago, I got invited to the Hawks game, right? We got floor seats and all these things, right? And I didn't know shit about like any of the players. I didn't know about any of them, right? So I didn't know who the fuck Trey Young was at the time. So I'm sitting on the floor and I'm watching the Hawks game. And I'm seeing this little dude, Trey Young. I say little dude because, like, you know, basketball players are like seven feet tall, right? And Trey Young is six foot one, which for the average man, six foot one is tall. But, you know, for basketball players, that's the short guy, right? So I'm seeing this little dude go out there and he's outballing these giants and he's looking like an artist out there. I'm like, yo, who the fuck is this guy? Like, this guy's amazing. This guy's like a virtuoso. Turns out that was Trey Young. So the first time I saw him, I had never heard of him and I just was blown away by the artistry. Like, guy's a virtuoso the guy's ridiculous um so yeah bro trey young just if you ever get the chance to watch him up close it's it's like a what's it called like what's it something in motion oh yeah poetry in motion that's what it is man all right let's see taylor said my cousin and i were talking this past weekend about the 135 division pedro muñoz Will he be in the Hall of Fame, and should he and Vera fight next? Uh, no disrespect. He's not going to be in the Hall of Fame. But, yeah, him and Cheeto, I, I like that fight. Why not? Him and Cheeto is a great fight because it gives Cheeto a chance to get back on track, and it gives Pedro another chance to climb up the rankings after his big win over Chris Gutierrez. So, yeah, I'm all for Cheeto versus Pedro Munoz. Definitely. All right, last call. Anything else you all want to tell me that you all want me to address, tell me now. Uh, speak now or forever hold your peace. If not, uh, I'm going to get out of here and I truly want to thank y'all so much for all the support y'all have shown me, not just today, not just this week, but over the years, whether y'all have been with me since the beginning or y'all just heard of me today, I'm truly grateful. So thank you for that. Make sure y'all hit that like button. If you're not subscribed, please subscribe. When this is over, leave me a comment and then feel free to share on Friday. We got technique of the week. And, man, I got a good one for Technique of the Week. Y'all going to like this on Friday. So Friday, I dropped my Technique of the Week. If y'all got any requests for Technique of the Week, y'all just let me know. But I got a really fun one planned on Friday that I think y'all are going to get a kick out of. So make sure y'all tune in for that. Thank y'all again so, so much. Truly cannot thank y'all enough. Uh, if you couldn't tell, I'm grateful. So thanks again. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.